Today's reading is Ephesians 1, 18 to 10. It can be found on page 1079 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. Our God of grace, as we come into this, this room, rented out on a Sunday morning for a church to have its meeting and to, and to consider grand and great things that are true about our world and true about us. As we sit here, we come truthfully with a lot of things that we don't want to be exposed. Whether it's things about our past, things uh, about our emotional world right now, um, things that we've done or things that have been done to us. We come as a mixture of people from all kinds of different experiences and stories and backgrounds. And yet we're, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit to each other. And we bring those messy lives before your story and, and before you. And you have a way consistently, as this passage just told us, you have a way of applying grace. It is grace and by grace that we are saved. You have a way of continually surrounding us by your grace when we look to you so that we know that this is a safe place to be broken, to bring our messes, to be real with each other, to stop faking it. Because through Jesus, you have um, accomplished 
the homecoming for all of us. We have been brought home, we have been welcomed in, and your love is showered upon us despite all the things, all the arguments we might give to say we're not worthy. And you laugh them all off and wave them off with your hand. And that's grace. We pray that in this time now as we listen to your word, that you, that grace would wave off all of the things that we're bringing internally that are fighting against your grace, that are fighting against your love. You would wave them away so that we might experience your smile and your laugh as you welcome us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just to, just to check in, so we have, does everybody have their uh, listening guide on the chairs nearby? You see those little pieces of paper? There's probably extras on this side. Let me see if there's, here's one. Anybody, anybody got extras to pass over here? All right, very important listening guide. So for three weeks in a row, we're going to have these. Thank you, thank you. Just make sure. So, so maybe just there's, pass those down and see if there's... Oh, you're good? Everybody good? Anybody need one? We got extras? All right. A couple back that way. Thanks for your help. All right, so we got our listening guides. We got our pens, our new City Life pens. And we're good to go. Um... So just a quick review. Let's see if this works. Think it'll work? Maybe I'll have to manually ask you to tap down on the uh, slides. Uh, City Life's vision. In the next five years, City Life will be, we'll see a noticeable increase in people of diverse backgrounds in Sacramento, desiring their own spiritual formation because they see the gospel's credibility in the lives and community of City Life Church. This is something that we've been looking at and focusing on for several months now, and in this particular three weeks right now, we're revisiting it and um, applying it to the current phase that we're in. So, you know what? This thing worked. I practiced, I promise. I practiced this, and it worked. Why don't we, I'll just give you the little nod for the next slide, Hilda. There you go. So we just highlight that bottom phrase, the gospel's credibility in the lives and community of City Life Church. There's a sense in which um, we, we just want to trust the gospel, trust the power of what there is in God's grace, and so that if, um, if we are being spiritually formed, those of us who are making City Life Church your church home, if you're being spiritually formed, then you'll be building a sort of credibility in your life before the world. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it's different for everybody, but there's a sense in which... Um, we show the world around us God. So in some way, we make even believing in God credible by what's happening in our lives. And so we're thinking that kind of issue through. Let's go to the next slide. And so for the last 90-day focus that ended in the end of January, we were working on extending the heart of Jesus to one person at a time. And as we build on that, we move to the next 90-day uh, period right now, and we're calling this Finding your place. And in the next three weeks, we have, uh, or last week and this week and next week is a three-week cycle where we're saying there's different components to this. There's the outward component, the inward component, and the upward component. So today we focus on the inward component, and our image there is of an iceberg. 
Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Aren't icebergs amazing? And we're going to look at our own inner iceberg. What do you guys see when you, when you look at that picture? Yeah. Yeah, more beneath, more beneath than, than there is above. And that portion that's above is really quite large. You know, so then it makes you realize how huge that thing underneath is. What else do you guys notice? Anything that, that makes you think or that you... Mmm. Hmm. The underneath stuff is more complex. Yeah. You can guess that's going to apply to some of what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So... We're, we're, we're talking about credibility, and we're talking about then finding your place in the world. Where has God stationed you? We talked about that last week. What's your arena where, you know, you do life, you do real life every day? And how might a perspective of God at work begin to shift that and give importance to that? But we also have to stop and not just look directionally around us, but today we think about, okay, if we're moving somewhere, if we're finding our place in the world, we have to get our bearings personally and just kind of look around and see what we're dealing with. And in a sense, the iceberg picture gives us that, that image of, let's assess what's going on even underneath the surface. And I want to um, get into that by just pointing out a couple things about the passage in Ephesians that we have today. So, as we're reading this section that has a little bit of chapter 1 in it and a little bit of chapter 2 in it, and it starts at verse 18, let me talk about the framework that we see in chapter 2. So in chapter 2, as we start out, it kind of starts a new literary unit, and it begins and ends with an important word, which is always kind of one of those fun things that I, that I learned in seminary and all my classes about the reading the Bible, those things to pay attention to. And if you're in literature classes, you, realize, you find out about this trend as well. Look for those repeating things, and, and if something's at the beginning and at the end of a literary unit, then it's, it's kind of like signaling to you, pay attention, this is important. And so that word in the Greek is a word for walking, it's called peripateo, is how it sounds in the Greek, and it, and it, it gets used in a, in a metaphorical walking kind of way, like you know, how you're living, you know, how, you're, how you're living your life. And so it starts out in verse 1 and 2, talking about, as for you, you were, you were dead, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. And that's where that word is. Parapateo, walking along, living. So this sort of starts out in this dead kind of place, walking you're, like that old movie. You know the title of that movie, The Walking Dead? Um, or no, that's the show. Well, I was thinking of Dead Man Walking. That's the old movie, The Walking Dead. My brain just did a funny little thing there. That's cool, The Walking Dead. Anybody watching The Walking Dead? Yeah? Um, end of this, uh, sorry for the Walking Dead reference, uh, but at the end of, of this literary unit of verse 10, then it, that word comes up again. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance uh, for us to do. You say, well, where's that word? But it's in there. It's in verse 10, that created for Christ Jesus to do good works, kind of walking along, doing good. So there's this connection there, and then there's this 
kind of answer to how on earth that transition happens from you're, you're, you're dead, you're walking along dead, to you're walking along with this purpose, that God, this God-given purpose. And there's this, the key that kind of unlocks it is explained right in the middle in verses 4, 5, and 6, where we see that, um, well, I guess in verse 5 is where it starts, we're made alive with Christ. And then verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and then seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. So what you have there is something you've probably heard of before. Jesus died and then was raised from the dead and then ascended to heaven. It's actually in our, what we call the Apostles' Creed. Those, are, those things are described as these key moments of what Jesus has done. He died, he rose, he ascended to heaven. And so what this... this is saying is that that transition that happens in our life from the sort of dead walking to alive walking is because of Jesus, Jesus's main three activities being superimposed over us. Because we, we, we die with him, we rise and come alive with him, and then we are in it lifted up in some kind of way into the presence of God the Father with him. So that's kind of the key. That's, the, that's, what's, that's what kind of gives our life a chance to have transformation, to change, to be credible in this world. And it's not, as the passage kept saying, it's not by your works so that any of you are going to boast. It's this Jesus grace thing superimposed over you. You can't even take credit for it as you go from the walking dead to the walking with purpose alive. And then what I like is how it's, this, that whole concept is forecasted in simplified and summarized in the first part that we read in verse 19, his incomparable, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This is what, what is at work and potentially at work in your life to change things dramatically is this incomparably great power. And so you think about this huge underneath the surface iceberg and how huge it is. And if that represents us, spiritually speaking, that's a pretty overwhelming uh, sense of what's underneath the surface to be dealt with. But his incomparably great power is supposed to be at work in you. And it's not even your power that's going to do it. It's God's power. One of the things that often happens as we think about these kinds of things as church people and Christians is that we think in kind of hypothetical terms and in almost um, it's like a concept that is just sort of out there that we ascribe to or we say we believe in. But I'm going to suggest today that if this is, if this is true and if this idea of we walk around dead until Christ comes into our life and then we walk around differently, that if that's at all going to be true, it's going to have to get real. It's going to have to get specific in your life. And you're going to have to go, start to go underneath the surface, plunge down underneath to explore the iceberg and the untouched parts of your life. It's going to have to get specific and as you all know, I think you know this already, when things start to get specific in your life, that starts to get hard and painful. And our defenses go up, and our resistance goes up, 
and we say, yeah, I wanted all these great things. I want power. I, wanted, I want change. And all of a sudden we go, but I don't know if I want it that way. <laughs> that hurts. That's not fun. And today, another way of putting it is today we're considering the tragedy of an unexamined life. Going through life, never going underneath the surface, never realizing that, never even beginning to realize the sense of the enormity of what has not been looked at, what has not been touched, what you have just kind of ignored all along. And it's not just me saying this, it's not just a a Bible verse saying this, some of the wisest uh, spiritual minds of all time have over and over again affirmed the power and the the incredible need, if you're going to grow, to probe down into who am I, self-knowledge. So we even have later in this, in this book of Ephesians, we have St. Paul saying <clears throat> that we need to actively put off your old self and put on the new self. Be cre- created, this new self which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You go back, you go to St. Augustine in the 4th century, he wrote in his Confessions, which is very simply, he said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And so he prayed... Grant, Lord, that I may know myself and that I, may know, that I may know thee. Later on, just keep moving through history, Meister Eckhart, in a Dominican writer from the 13th century, said, no one can know God who does not first know himself. Then St. Teresa of Avila wrote in The Way of Perfection, she said, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Are we getting the picture? Just one more, one more, one more quote. John Calvin in, in 1530, he wrote this big kind of full summary of, of what the Bible says about God, and it was called the Institutes of Christian Religion. And he said, and this is how he starts out the whole thing, he says, because he's basically deciding, what do I talk about first, us or God? Which, what do I go with first? And so he tries to explain, explain that, and he says, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think that, that of the deep interconnectedness of knowing yourself and actually meeting God and knowing God? That has potential to, to be a little mind-blowing. But surprisingly, we, we avoid self-knowledge. We, we just avoid it like the plague a lot of times. There's this um, woman named Sheila Walsh who is a Christian singer, writer, and a former co-host of the 700 Club. If you're familiar with Christian TV in the 1990s. But, um, so the 700 Club. And she wrote, she wrote about her story how in 1992, how she had this disconnected spirituality and she hit a wall. She said, one morning I was sitting on national television with my nice suit and inflatable hairdo. And that night I was, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. It was the kindest thing God could have done to me. The very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, who are you? I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, I'm a writer. I'm a singer. That's not what I meant. Who are you? 
I don't have a clue, I said. And he replied, now that's right, and that's why you're here. So many people can write about hitting a point in life where everything was crashing down and finally they started asking questions about who am I? Who am I? One such writer is the one who I'll credit the iceberg analogy to. His name's Pete Scazzaro. Yes, Pete Scazzaro. I'll have a few quotes from him today. And he writes this book called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is what he says about his own journey, very similar, hitting, kind of crashing into a wall and having to probe and look at himself. He says, It wasn't until the pain exposed how much was hiding under my surface of being a good Christian that it hit me. Whole layers of my emotional life had laid buried, untouched by God's transforming power. I had been too busy for morbid introspection, too consumed with building God's work to spend time digging around in my subconscious. Yet now, the pain was forcing me to face how superficially Jesus had penetrated my inner person, even though I had been a Christian for 20 years. Today's um, invitation to probing your iceberg is is an invitation to transition from your faith being true for you to it being true of you. Does that, does that kind of make sense? We don't often realize that there's all this inner work that has to be done, and it has to be done in community with others. Seeing the gospel message seep, seep, seep in, disrupting old patterns, saturating doubts and insecurities with God's loving presence, His grace, as this passage talks so much about. Rewiring the strands of our troubled inner worlds so that we're not slaves to our past or our false gods or our insecurities because we have become slaves to Christ. And the life that we often live that you can maybe see in yourself as you sit here today, the life of frantic action, of worry and hurry, of impression management, and and panicked reactionary living can become replaced by a sort of bubbling joy, a joy that has confidence and that comes out from within. And all of this has to do with plunging under the surface and beginning to explore the contours of what's underneath, the cracks, the crevices, the large areas unexplored. You know, this, this idea of that there can be some kind of joy that you tap into beyond just what you can produce on your own and that it can bubble up from within. I didn't even begin to experience this until um, around 2008, and I've told my story. I tell it in our dive group, and I've, I've hinted at it in all kinds of different ways from up here. 
But in 2008, I finally began to experience some of this because I realized that my plans and my busyness and my church activities were a part of helping me avoid God working inside of my life in real and powerful ways. So this is how some of the good activities that we can be engaged in can even begin to kind of cover over from what God might begin to start doing in our lives. And I began to see that under the surface was a lot of fear. That's, that's often what happens when we dive under into the iceberg. And I get to see that in some of your lives. Um, even in a conversation this week I had with somebody, suddenly starting to probe events long past in their journey that were just kind of coming up. And I would say that's God stirring things up if that's happening in your life. You're beginning to think about something that happened 5, 10, 20 years ago and you're starting to explore it in ways that you, you say like, yeah, I probably should have explored that back then, but for whatever reason I couldn't, I had my defenses up, I, had my, I was clinched tight, couldn't go there. And now you're starting to explore it. I would say that's God at work probing underneath the surface. And that happened with me as I began to notice there's, there's a lot of things going on with fear and reacting out of fear and impression management that came out of fear. And here, there's, the Bible says all kinds of things about God's incomparably great power to deal with fear. And it basically to say, if the gospel of God's grace is in your life, fear has no place. It just kind of gets sent out. So why, how could I go through childhood, a Christian college, being a youth pastor, going to seminary in four years in ministry here in Sacramento without having, having touched that at all underneath the surface. Well, the quote in your worship guide, the second one by Peter Scazzaro, maybe, maybe gives an explanation. It says, the spirituality of most current discipleship models often only adds an additional protective layer against people growing up emotionally. Because people are having real and helpful spiritual experiences in certain areas of their lives, such as worship, prayer, Bible studies, and fellowship, they mistakenly believe that they are doing fine, even if their relational life and interior world is not in order. The apparent progress then provides a spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. Anybody relate to that? Seen that at work? So today's an invitation to plunge in. And um, for me, nothing is, nothing is more um, uncomfortable to think about and, and really horrifying than to you know, put on a wetsuit as thermal as it might be and to jump into water like that. I mean, that to me, I, I don't even really like swimming that much just because you get co- getting cold is involved in it. So I'm, you know, I just tend to, I go in for about five minutes, I get out, I lay in the sun, and I warm up. I mean, so the idea of plunging in and exploring, if you could just imagine a tiny little dot that you couldn't even see hardly, kind of just moving around down in all of those spaces of that iceberg up on the screen and exploring. That's what you're being invited to do today. And for each of us, it's going to mean a different set of actions and way different kinds of discoveries. But you can be sure it's going to be, it's going to be difficult and it's going to bring up things from your past, parts of your story. For one person, um, doing that dive is going to involve, and that plunge is going to involve uh, solid, more solitude and silence. 
For someone else, it's going to involve um, maybe emotionally journaling. So this would be the idea that all you do, you just open up something with paper in it, and you just write maybe one or two or three emotions that are going on in your life. And for some people, that is, that is a groundbreaking thing to begin to do, to get in touch with what am I actually feeling right now. For others, it might involve uh, filling out a genogram. You can try Googling it if you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's this thing that therapists and counselors love to do, exploring your family history and kind of coding it all out, and you start to see, oh, that's where that pain is coming from. That's where those, that kind of miswiring and that, those issues with conflict, oh, that's where that's all coming from. Others of you, maybe you're into books, so you want to get a book recommendation from me. This uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, or there's another book, uh, by authors Tripp and Lane called How People Change. Maybe for some of you it is, it is getting into a therapy relationship or a, a relationship with a spiritual director and beginning to take the plunge. Talk through your story. Talk through the ruts and the places you get, the dysfunctions that you say, I want to figure out the spiritual meaning, meaning underneath this. It can be scary. That first quote in your worship guide from Scazzaro says, dying to your false self and allowing your true self to come out can be frightening. For some, for some of us, giving or receiving a compliment feels wrong. Others have an allergic reaction to being in the presence of angry people. For others, to enter into conflict feels like death. To some, asking for help feels like a complete failure. And even thinking about disagreeing with a friend can send some into an evening of insomnia. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about exploring and figuring out. A lot of times these things manifest themselves in ways that you just kind of feel debilitated and pessimistic about certain areas of your inner life. You know, you'll feel like these relationship patterns, I'm just stuck in these forever. They just keep coming up, but there's, I really don't have any hope. Or these, these emotional crutches and ruts that I get in. Or these, these pockets of deadness in my littering up my in, emotional and inner world. But there's no, there's no place in the gospel and in the power of God, this incomparable power of God, there's no place to be pessimistic or defeated with these kinds of spaces, these dead pockets in our lives. I was really blessed by uh, something I read on Facebook this week. And, uh, and I asked permission from Noah Bird, who was uh, somebody who spent a lot of time playing music with us up here. So he posts this very iceberg-exploring thing on Facebook this week. I texted him, I'm like, Noah, can I use that? Can I talk about you on Sunday? He said, Yes. So let me tell you, just, this is just, I mean, I'm not, this isn't going to, um, you know, this isn't going to like answer all your questions or anything. It's just, a, it's just let me hold up an example of the kind of things that start to happen when you get underneath the surface. Noah says, I'm realizing I have trouble listening to advice from others. I'm never going to seriously resent or call someone out for giving me advice, but I do shut down when the advice is given. I really just don't know, I really just don't want to hear it. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It's like on the one hand, I want to have personal integrity. I've definitely been jerked around in the past due to people's advice and influence, both good and bad. Even if the advice turns out 
good for me. It doesn't really help me trust myself. On the other hand, not listening to people's advice harms my ability to communicate with others. It encourages me to think along the lines of, this person doesn't know what they're talking about, as opposed to, I wonder what his or her perspective is on this. Guess I need to get more woke. (laughs) It's the only solution, says Noah Bird. Love that. Invitation to plunge, to plunge deep. Christ died for our deadness, and he rose up from life and made us alive, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Christ's actions on our behalf get superimposed over us, and the power of God is completely available and ready to apply to you and your icebergs this morning. Instead of settling for my power in my outer life, it's time to, to plunge into exploring God's power for your inner life. Let's pray. Our God of grace... Often, we're so bad at um, receiving the transformational power that you have available for us that you need to do things in our lives that force us uh, to deal with what's going on under the surface, that force us to begin to receive your power. And so, if that's what we need, please begin your work. But in some ways also, uh, perhaps you're going to enable some of us to begin exploring things, even though our life isn't crashing down, even though the relationships in our lives aren't experiencing all kinds of turmoil and we're not facing all kinds of loss and grief. Maybe some of us, you're just going to answer our prayers and begin begin to work your grace slowly into our life and help us to do what's the hard inner work of finding our bearings and receiving your grace. Would your Holy Spirit do this work in us because we can't do it ourselves? And may you remind us that this whole operation of the Christian faith, this whole movement that we're a part of that's been going on for 2,000 years has never once been about what we do, but started and exploded onto the scene because it's about people receiving what you have done. Forgive us for making it about ourselves and what we do. And give us strength to receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.